Hi, this is Paul. Ever since uh, one of you sent me over to the Base Camp people, I've had I've had fun watching them. And what's been fun funny is that a bunch of uh, once of bunch of corner peoples whose accounts I recognize have been leaving comments. Sometimes people are telling them dropping my name for them, so I'm sure they at this point know who I am. But I just recently watched this video on, again, their religion. I'm, I'm fascinated by these two, and apparently some of you are as well. And so we're going to play some of this video today. And they were happy about their analytics, so we're probably driving some traffic to their channel. But I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about that in the way that I had talked, you know, Sam and I were talking the other day, and this goes back to this Ross Douthat video uh, that comes from, oh, this is a few years ago, um, Ross Douthat, Tara Isabel Burton, Isabella Burton, and Steve Smith on The Next American Religion. And this followed... I think the I don't think I don't remember if the decadence book came out before or after this, but uh, Douthat's books. So these are the two Douthat books that I I have: his Decadent Society book and the Bad Religion book. I'm curious about his Lyme disease book because I think that his experience with Lyme disease is part of the unmaking of this vision of a rational world. And um, but I but I haven't I haven't picked up his his Lyme disease book yet. But one of the things I appreciate about Douthat is he's he's a very patient, broad thinker. And here, obviously, talking to Isabella Burton, um, they're asking questions about new religions and the formation of new religions. And when I listen to the Based Camp, um, Malcolm and and Simone Collins. I very much see sort of new religions in formation. And part of the reason I think they, I mean, they, Mormonism and, and how they're like Mormonism in terms of their perspectives, of course, coming out of a, both of them coming out of a Calvinist past. It's just fascinating watching these things sort of develop. So, but first I want to, first I want to remind, because, because of the churn, people come and go, but this, this comment that Douthat made that I've never lost, and obviously it stuck with Sam the other day uh, when we when we were talking, Sam Tiedemann, uh, I got his name right, he corrected me in the comments. I wanted to start maybe with Tara's point about sort of the, you know, the durability of this kind of, um, I'll conflate your two points and say the durability of imminent mm. individualist religion in American life, right, and the fact that you have plenty of, you know, divination and God within spirituality going back to the 18th century. Um, it, it seems to me that if you look at sort of the historical pattern in American life, you have sort of either surges of that kind of spirituality or particular religious geniuses who manifest it, and then the movements and institutions that they build have historically then been sort of pulled back towards a kind of normative Christian structure or framework to to use to use Steve's account, right? So you know to take to take the examples of the the two biggest nineteenth-century examples, maybe are Christian Science, which comes out of New Thought in certain ways, and Mormonism, which gets its start in the sort of in you know the kind of divination happy world of upstate New York in the in the in the, in the early nineteenth century, and both of those you know if you if you look at them from a sort of, you know, how Christian are they perspective at, at 
at the outset, you can make a case that they're both pretty stark departures, maybe not getting all the way to something we call paganism or post-Christianity, but clearly really stark departures. Um, you know, in Mormonism's case, you know, you mentioned polyamory, right, as a feature mm -hmm. of the contemporary political landscape. Early Mormonism goes all the way to polygamy. And then, over the course of the next hundred years, you get to a point where by the time of the 1950s and 1960s, both Christian Science and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, while they're still regarded as heretical or dangerous or cultic by some other Christian denominations, are, I think, reasonably seen as connected to a kind of, you know, a, a kind of Christian tradition in, in American life. And there's clearly an aspiration at least among parts of the leadership of those, of those, what become those churches to move in that direction. And what that hasn't, it seems to me one thing that's been different since the 60s and 70s, right, is that that hasn't happened to the same degree, right? So we've gone through the sort of Marianne Williamson presidential campaign, which um, unfortunately has not won enough support to merit the fascination that I've applied to it. Um, but, I feel like a 19th century version of Marianne Williamson would have started a church, right? And would have, you know, and, and over the course of 50 years, there would be a sort of Williamsonian denomination that had some sort of ambiguous relationship to um, the Protestant center in American life. And, uh, you know, Williamson has some kind of institution now, but it's very clear that she doesn't regard herself as sure. in that light. And the same goes for, you know, figures ranging from Deepak Chopra to Oprah Winfrey and so on. And so I'm curious what you think, um, spending time in these religious worlds, what happens when that doesn't happen, right? Like what happens to this kind of spiritual energy if there isn't one institution building or two, a sort of pull back towards a kind of, you know, quasi-normative Christian framework? Does it just continue? Are we in just a sort of endless cycle, right, where astrology was big when my parents were young and when I was growing up, you know, I knew what my parents' sign was and then by the time I got to college. And, and of I course, if you look at Saturday Night Live and men thinking about the Roman Empire, all the women are still thinking about astrology. 1990s, nobody talked about astrology anymore, but now it's back. Mm. Like, do we just run a cycle or is there, what do you think happens? So, I think I would motion that, I mean, you mentioned Oprah, and I can think of Gwyneth Paltrow, that the, uh, the lifestyle brand may have perhaps in some senses replaced the, the church as the kind of institutionalization of a certain kind of spiritual trend, which is to say, sure, Oprah doesn't have a church exactly, but at the same time, there is a degree in which sort of with enough money, with enough of a following, um, the sort of grassroots fringe traditions do become, you know, like astrology, like psychics, which are now at you know Goop summits, do become codified in some way. I wasn't terribly impressed by her response to his question, which is why it didn't get clipped for the Vanderclip channel. But okay, fair point. My interest is in sort of the movement technology. Let's say. In American history, many, many, many historians have noted that part of what happened in America was that religious groups came to America and part of how the context formed them was the congregationalizing 
of their group. And I've mentioned before that if you travel down I-5, you'll hit a Buddhist drive through, travel down I-5, cross over to Stockton to 99 if you're going to the, the, the center of Christian reformity in the Central Valley, going to Ripon, California, you'll drive right on little Highway 4, you'll look over on your right, and there's a Buddhist church. And every time I saw that, I thought, hmm. And in, my, in the conversation that I'm going to release with Neil, um, that's probably one of the next Randall's conversations going to come up to the full channel. I mean, his mother was or his grandmother. His grandmother was a Buddhist, um, both a Buddhist and a Methodist. And Matthew said, well, Buddhism is another thing you're going to have to dig into. And part of what I've been, you know, in terms of sort of talking about Islam at the fringes, and people will say, yeah, you're mostly connected with California Buddhism. Yes. But this is part of the difficulty about talking about any religion that in Armenia, so I've used a lot of clips from from Ash and that Randall's conversation that's going to be coming out. Figuring out how to talk about this stuff is really hard. And so when we talk, when we look at the Smachtenberg, Verveke, Ian McGilchrist conversation, when when you know John Verveke is getting serious about stealing the culture. Well, churches, obviously, in America were a key way of stealing the culture. And they obviously, in the Roman Empire, were a significant way of stealing the culture. But but even that as such is not quite so easy to recognize. For example, we hear often about the lauded church fathers of those who discovered orthodoxy. They read the church fathers. They read the church fathers. <laughs> they, they didn't have the opportunity to go back in time and go into any of their churches. The church fathers, one person I heard um, liken church fathers in some ways to celebrity pastors. Martin Luther, who deeply changed the church, obviously founded a church and Lutheran churches went all over. But so churches then were still a mechanism. And in terms of my let's say my strategy for world impact has very much been community community based i i dropped the dog back home cuz my wife and my daughter were coming back home and they could take care of the dog and give the dog a little bit more freedom than when the dog is just here in my office when i'm making stuff and i got back here and i had to do my rough draft for sunday and i was a little procrastinating and and social blade is this is this website that you can look at google analytics because I'm always fascinated by what, what on earth do these analytics tell me? And so I thought, well, I'm going to pull up my channel and Jonathan Peugeot's channel. Because I just watched a Jonathan Peugeot video on the angels because I'm preaching about the angels. And I'm always looking for new stuff for my sermons. And Jonathan Peugeot is a good source of stuff. And, and so then I saw, oh, he's up over 200,000 subs. Wow, that's, that's just amazing, the growth of that channel. I, I remember I remember Jonathan Peugeot's channel when it only had 2,000 subs and when I only had 500 subs. Yeah, that's when Jonathan and I met, yada, yada, yada. And then Grim Grizz is like, he's on Russell Brand. I thought, oh, boy, I Jonathan Peugeot and Russell Brand, that's a video I'm going to watch. Anyway, um, and so I thought, well, what, what does my channel and what do our analytics when you put them side by side? Now, Social Blade only hits really certain analytics, but 
So then I looked at it, and Jonathan's channel has over 200,000 subs, and I've had a I had a couple of weeks ago, and I had one video that sort of took off a little bit, and so my numbers got my numbers have been fairly hot during December. And so Jonathan's daily average for subs, his channel's probably a little colder because his his energies and efforts have really been elsewhere, but. His daily average is about 67 new subs, and mine's about 34 new subs. Um, so his growth, I mean, especially once you start growing, if he's adding twice as many subscribers every day that I am, well, that's, you know, his channel's going to go like this, and my channel's, and it's kind of the way math works. So his growth is much quicker, but I put out a lot more videos, and that's that means that depending on what number you're looking at, and again, all of these numbers, what do they really tell us? It's kind of hard. So his average daily views are about 7,182, and mine are 6,429. So even though he's got, you know, almost, you know, he's got not quite 10 times as many subscribers as I have, number of daily views, mine isn't that far behind. Now, our views, but I put out long videos often, and... Um, his weekly average is about 50,000 views, and my weekly average is 45,000 views. And it's like, wow. That, so, so how close are the channels? And in the last 30 days, he had 215,000 views, and I had 192,000 views. Now, there's a lot of different numbers that you can get from inside, and those weren't on Social Blade, and that's fine. My, my, the point isn't comparing my channel to Jonathan's. The point is, well, how on earth do we measure impact? Impact at what time, at what place? And and this, of course, has everything to do with, with Jesus because, you know, the impact of Jesus in the Roman Empire for many, many people in the empire, and this gets, this gets into this incredibly difficult problem of seeing. Jesus wasn't really... Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't impact the empire in the ways that the important people of the empire would see for a very long time after the events that are recorded in the Gospels. And so we're always trying to weigh relevance and importance and value. And, and what we learn is it's very difficult to know how. So just to continue, um, so yearly estimate of Jonathan's channel, 2.7 million views and mine is 2.3 million views. So then again, now that's significant amount. That's 400,000 more views than I will have, but it's not that huge of a percentage. But again, now probably many of the people watching my channel, it's a smaller group of people and they watch more of my videos because of course I'm putting out more videos and like an average, usually in any given month, between 40 and 50,000 unique viewers will watch my videos, which is higher than the subscriber number. So, and some people don't log into YouTube, yada, yada, yada. And, and then I went into all the, because then when, in Twitter, it's like three people liked your liked your video, but whenever you see like a, a picture of an attractive girl, if you click on it, then it's like, oh yeah, these are, these are the, these are the bots. Where's, uh, so then I was talking to, I was, I was just having fun on Twitter. Twitter, Twitter should be for fun. Um, but, but this gets, to me, this gets into this whole, this whole question of, 
well, what's a religion? And I saw it, you know, I was watching this video. I thought, is, is this a, are they founding a new religion? Is it going to be like a cult? A couple of years ago, I, I was going to make some videos about the Nexium cult. We had an estuary meeting last night, so we started talking about cults, and some of the individuals had really interesting stories about them. And I, I hadn't had an estuary meeting for a while, and apparently every time I stopped doing it, the, the, they, uh, they start having meetings on their own without me, which I absolutely endorse. And um, But we're starting the weekly estuary coming in, in January, the first Sunday of January, the 7th. And so we're talking about cults and different people's uh, history with cults or people's parents' history with cults. It's just absolutely fascinating. And cults have been sort of a topic that we've touched here and there. Mary um, Mary Cohen, of course, had a lot to say about cults. Um, uh, there's Nick from Nick from Santa Cruz, who had been in a number of them, who still his comments pop up on the channel sometimes. But this whole Nexium cult with uh, with Keith Raniere was HBO had a big documentary on him and a bunch of high status celebrities from Smallville and Battlestar Galactica were part of these and this guy's this guy's doing time for uh, sex trafficking racketeering I mean all kinds of things and I, I am by no means saying that these two are going to do anything like that um, they they don't they don't have any of the signs of of doing anything like that but. A new religion, a new church, because what's interesting about them is that they, that's very much what they say they're doing, and they're constructing a new religion. Now, now their books are really cheap on Amazon. <laughs> Vanderclay, what are you doing? You're driving people to this cult. They're not a cult. You're driving people to this new religion. It's not my point. I'm curious about it. I, I, I'm, I'm watching this stuff, and I'm just, I'm just. I'm just fascinated. I'm just fascinated. So a pragmatist guide to governments, pragmatist guide to relationships. A, a friend of mine sent me one of their videos on relationships. He said, I was very impressed by what he saw. It's like, hmm, this will be interesting. I haven't watched it yet, but I, it's very much a pragmatist guide to life, pragmatist guide to sexuality. I mean, guide to crafting religions. I mean, they, they wrote a book on crafting religions. And um, I haven't read it yet, but I've got it on my Kindle. And I'm, you know, culture is an evolutionary, and you know, these these people are these people are taking this seriously. Now the question is, will they build a church? Well, what on earth is a church? And, and again, for for this little corner and for my little YouTube project, um, I mean, those are those are salient questions for me, because for the last six years, a lot of me has wondered. What what on earth have I started? What, what where is this going? And I know some of you have ideas about that, and some of you have positive ideas about that, and some of you have negative ideas about that. Because I do read the comment section, and um, a lot of people have negative ideas about it, just sort of wander off because who wants to who wants to waste their time on a losing venture or a, a venture that um, anyway. So so this video again just sort of fascinated me, and I'll give you a little taste of it. Now they usually the, their videos are edited. Um, they're not highly produced, let's say, but they are edited. Oh, before before I went there, I a little bit more. I did a little bit more research on, at least on Malcolm. He, he's got a website here. We created the Collins Institutes for Families Like Us. You get the baby and their doggy there, and so they've got well, they've got an institutes board. Jacob, look out, Jacob. These people make boards and stuff. Um, Partner organizations, 
So, and again, this whole question of, well, you don't found a church, you found a, a not-for-profit, you, you found an institute, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then there's this everybody wiki, which I, I don't really know what this is, but someone will enlighten me in the comments section. And I don't know if, I, I suspect people, now these people are from Texas, which again is just super interesting. Um, Malcolm J. Collins is an entrepreneur and neuroscientist from Dallas, Texas. Oh, this is so interesting. His work on the brain-computer interface and the evolution of human cognition is displayed in the Smithsonian Institute. Collins with his wife, Simone. I think that's his second wife. Because in the video, he made a comment about his wife. And I don't think he was talking about her. So I looked and I, I, I haven't, you know, usually with a, a regular Wikipedia entry, they'll have some of those little details. But um, it, it's also very interesting who gets listed in Wikipedia and who isn't. So this is maybe a, a vanity place if you want to put your own little information out there so people can find you. And these people are very, very online, as they say. Collins, with his wife Simone, raised the first uh, married search fund and regularly speaks about it at Stanford and Harvard business schools. They made their first search fund deal in Peru, acquiring TravelMax, one of the largest travel agencies in America with over $100 million in revenue. So these people are financially doing very well. He has a BA in neuroscience from St. Andrews University and an MBA from Stanford University. And this guy, I mean, like I, I was watching this, like, this guy's smart. I mean, I'm sure he's got a nice, good score in his general IQ. He researches brain computing technology at Neurosky in 2010. He's, he's older than he looks. And his first relationship with Korea in 20, 2014 by consulting for Bingle, an interest-based um, SNS, and later became the director of The Ventures. Collins' marriage proposal using deviant art to his wife on Reddit went viral and garnered a lot of national and international media attention, including CNET, BuzzFeed, The Daily Dot, and HuffPost. He is heavily criticized on the internet at the center of negative criticism as people commented, I'm holding out hope that this isn't I'm holding out hope that this isn't real. It makes us makes me sad that it that this worked. This is probably the most cringeworthy thing I've seen thus far on Reddit. Love is Dead, and other comments. The couple together founded Art Corgi, the largest mid-market mid art commissioning marketplace, and is the second most prestigious accelerator in the world by 500 startups. They run a few not-for-profits, including the Pragmatist Foundation, an NGO focused on pragmatic living, pronatalist.org, the only solely pronatalist-focused NGO. Collins is also the author of three best-selling books, and regularly gets interviewed on popular podcasts. They conducted a multi-state get-out-the-vote program called studentvotes.org to encourage students to participate in and vote for U.S. presidential election 2020. The dean of Stanford Business School congratulates both of their efforts. Collins is married to Simone and has one kid together, now three. He's also the grandson of James M. Collins. Ooh, it gets, who's James and Colin? Apparently, there's a lot of James. And isn't this exciting, YouTube, watching me do internet research right in front of you instead of doing all my research before and giving you a fully formed video? Well, I, I suspect about the right age, James M. Collins here. Oh, interesting. 
was an American businessman and a Republican who represented the 3rd Congressional District of Texas from 1968 to 1983. The district was based around the time of Irving and Dallas County, so also from Texas. He was born in East Texas, yada, yada, yada. So he was a politician. I didn't read anything here that dramatically stood out. All right, let's get into the video. ...or something like that, who received special revelation and their revelation is made apparent to us both through their predictive capacity of future events and through the spread and efficacy of their message and improving an individual's quality of life. The elect are different from prophets. The elect are individuals who have a plan for their lives. Like this is what I plan to do to have this outcome on the world population. This plan needs to one, have been accurately executed. So they do need to have the impact that they had planned on having. And two, be in line with the will of the agents of providence. So it basically means that they are using you as a vessel to bring about the future that must come to pass. Mm -hmm. From the martyrdom of man, persons with feeble and untrained intellects may live according to their conscience, but the conscience itself will be defective. To cultivate the intellect is therefore a religious duty. Would you like to know more? Malcolm. Hello, Simone. It is wonderful to be here with you. Now, now, one of the key things, if you want to found a church or a religion or a cult or something like this, is obviously nomenclature. I mean, once you colonize the language, you can really colonize culture because language is, uh, culture is so language-based. And so watching them, and, and what's fascinating about this video is that they, they use a lot of Calvinist nomenclature, but they're using it in their own particular way. And again, as you listen to them, you think now, what, what do you really mean by God? What, who really is Jesus and the elect? And then she's going to talk a lot about limited atonement. It's like, whoa, you've got this Calvinist's attention. You today, we recently released an episode on our religious beliefs yes. that primarily ended up focusing on the concept of where we think like truth comes from, like how you can determine if an individual is a prophet and how you can determine if an individual is being and, and the will of God. Like, mm. how do you determine what the will of God is? Mm. Uh, and it went into and in our case, what we think God is, just so people are broadly aware, is we think that God is our distant, distant, distant descendants, humanity's distant descendants, hmm. that in a million years, if humans are still around, whatever we have become in that time is closer to what today we would conceive of a God than what we today would conceive of as a human, and that they don't relate to time in the way we relate to time. So it's sort of this self-manifesting entity that reveals aspects of itself to people as throughout the civilization our civilization's development however when it's explaining itself to earlier iterations of people with less technology and less philosophical sophistication it had to use simpler explanations but we <laughs> uh, so i i kind of wound i kind of shared this with the with the with the estuary group last night and and my son was like, what do you mean? It's kind of like the cult of interstellar. <laughs> fascinating. Again, just fascinating. I mean, Tara Isabella Burton has carved for out for herself as a 
religious journalist probably one of the most interesting things because I, you know, I feel like Michael Jackson in the Thriller video, just eating popcorn thinking, this is so fascinating and thinking about how this develops and how this is related to, to new, he, he talked in the other video about how for a while he was sort of a new atheist and of course now he's got this degree in neuroscience and so you see sort of the, the materialism here but with the science fiction and please say more left that video with a cliffhanger which was the concept of the elect and it's something that we can dig into a lot on this video because it's a, a pretty important concept to our religious framework and the gist of it is that not everyone's life matters equally god <laughs> does not care about everyone equally the the agents of providence we would call them do not not everyone is equally important in their design and some people are holistically unimportant in their design do you want to go over your thoughts on this simone yeah well i would say like there's a, a larger like I, I guess bifurcation of religious and metaphysical philosophies that that all every everyone has to make a call on this and each is kind of an asshole for different reasons and, and i just want to like make that clear so yeah, there's there's one group that believes in limited atonement which is really what we're describing here that like some people are saved or some people are important and others aren't and 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 not all, all people are equal and that's not necessarily something that we're happy now again almost always with if you're if you're trying to sort of figure out someone's as a pastor one of the things you're always doing is you're listening to people and you're just trying to get a sense of their religious map now again i could read through the books and try and map it out that way but this is probably a little more efficient maybe less fair but my my goal here isn't to become a devotee or to help the collins found their church or their cult my my interest in this is the kinds of religions that the history of the last, what does it say his age? I'm curious about his age. No, no no birthday. Um, again, he looks young, but I, I suspect he's, given everything that he's done, he's probably in his 30s and maybe even in his later 30s. Oh, that's that, that's too good a picture not to use for, the, uh, for, a, for a thumbnail. Continue about it's just what we think to be true and the the upsides to this view uh, or i would say the virtues of this view the nice things are that you're not going to see a lot of forcible conversions with these religions and we're not the only ones who hold this view there are lots of people who also calvinists hold this view jewish people hold this view lots of groups right and so they're, they're like you know what it's not our job to convert everyone. We cannot save everyone. That's not possible. So they're just, they're a lot less coercive. They're a lot less domineering because it's just not practical. But then on the, like on the downside or the vice end, the, you know, they're just also like, and eh, those people are lost or going to hell or unimportant or whatever, right? Like they're somehow lesser or, you know, not saved or whatever. And that's, that kind of sucks because I mean, in a like very PC, everyone's happy world, everyone goes. Again, a really interesting take on limited atonement to heaven everything's good it's it's great then there are religions and cultural views that believe that everyone can be saved obviously the virtue there is that everyone can go to heaven everyone can be saved everyone luke can, luke calling luke calling all our universalists can matter the but, but of course you've, you've always got to say and this is a this is one of the things i 
you'll hear me do often is, well, let's let's drill down into this saved category, because of course materialists tend to locate there as as Douthat was making. You know, you immanentize it, you you bring it down here, or you you keep it within the box. Downside there is that there is then a genuine philosophical like values aligned imperative to convert people and to, and to, to enforce save. your your cultural beliefs on other people so uh -huh. if you believe so, that continue this means then that if you have like two groups that hold this view like catholics and muslims for example both kind of i think Interesting, correctly hold this view. Not all because, Catholics and all Muslims hold this view. But yeah, some do, right? Like, or like really do. heavy proselytizing ones. Both would believe, well, the other group is going to go to hell if they don't convert to the correct religious view and the correct practices. So it is their imperative to, through force or through convincing, the convincing part is the nice way to do it. The force way is the not nice way to do it. They have to switch everyone over. You kind of see, I, I would say, a secular. A secular version of this can be seen with antinatalism, where yeah. the, there are coercive antinatalists who would just like to forcibly sterilize or like literally kill everyone without their consent. And then there's the antinatalists like Lawrence Anton and and his his cohort who we we've spoken with and met with a person who would who never want to coerce anyone who. Only and, and so then there's the okay so so this natalism is now sort of the hinge, and so now we're going to have pro-natalists and anti-natalists, and they're going to be struggling for supremacy. And of course, you, you, then you're going to get your definition of salvation sort of growing out of that focus of attention. Only want to convince people. They both have the same end. There should be no humans anymore, and ideally no animals either, no sentient life. However, they have very different approaches. So we're not saying that like... I think we... you, you've drunk the Kool-Aid a little here. I think that these groups historically typically don't try to convert... Co co coerce people when they're in the minority oh. but when they gain control of governments they almost always attempt to coerce people well, but it's pro some of the emissary and master thing is that once once a certain kind of emissary gets a certain amount of power then it's they got a lot of temptation to use all those tools of the majority i mean these these people are not dumb they're a little odd but they're not dumb what we can say though is that like the they're trying to do the right thing. Yeah, they're, they're trying, trying to do the right thing, but they, they don't, they're not just trying to do the right thing. <clears throat> if they have control of a governing system, they have a moral mandate often to use that evil. governing system to coerce people to yep, follow Because otherwise, rights. you know that you can save someone and you're letting them go to hell. You're letting them suffer. You're letting their lives mm -hmm. have no meaning. And that is truly evil by their framework. Mm -hmm. So again, like each one has their benefits and, and, and downsides. Yes. Now, we, we, we are of the other group that's we're just like, I'm sorry, I can't save you. You're not going to matter, which is kind of an asshole move and kind of not because we're not going to force anyone to do anything so yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a view that appears condescending from the perspective of an outsider but yeah. generally if you're you know abutting another cultural group you would prefer that they had this view than that they don't right uh, because they're going to be a much more symbiotic cultural group to their neighbors and much less dominating and and so and the anti-natalists are almost certainly the most dangerous of these groups right now and definitely a quickly growing movement faster growing than the pro-natalist movement if you look at you know their subreddits like the F so so then okay so now we're looking at anti-natalists and pro-natalists and go back again to the Dalfit thing okay how what technologies are 
the spirits of these groups, let's use spirits and just imagine that, that all of these groups have animating spirits. We can call them angels or demons and principalities and powers. We can, you know, but th there's something that's animating these groups. How do they form? And what do they use? And, and in many ways, obviously, the spirits again are moving into the machines and the spirits are coming through the machines. You know, this, during COVID, you can't get COVID over Zoom. So, you know, I kept doing all my randos conversations and all my videos, et cetera, et cetera. But other spirits are definitely moving through these lines. And they're not forming churches. But there's going to be this, this Daniel K. Williams piece that was in The Atlantic not too long ago. Now, Daniel K. Williams, I believe, also wrote a piece that I looked at a lot in terms of how how the civil rights movement impacted the mainline church. This piece is about what really happens when Americans stop going to church. And, and basically what he said was that when, when America, this talks about that book, The Great Dechurching, when Americans stopped going to church, increasingly their religion became their church. In other words, the, the form of church obviously impacts the elements of a religious movement and this this church impacts let's say the animating spirit of that group and when that animating spirit is no longer located within an IRL community but now is mediated by the algorithmically algorithm agents that are mediating our relationships and our conversations with each other. It's part of the reason that I like a lot of the direct conversations that we're doing on just chatting and in this little corner, because part of the reason I didn't like text-based connections, let you get in Reddit or, um, or on Discord, but at least when we're talking over video, we've got something and it's not when we're sort of conversing over YouTube, obviously it's more algorithmically mediated. But but there's something about church so that again, as this as this article talked about, and as um, the great de-churching book talked about, when when people would leave church, there I, I would I would dare bet their formation is mostly then coming from probably mass media. Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times or their local paper or their local news. So there's really something to how this stuff gets mediated. Alism, subreddit and stuff like that that want right. to destroy all life on the planet. So really, we got to talk on that. But, but, but now let's get back to what we think. Like, what do we mean when we say that there is an elect group and an unelect group? So... We define elect in a number of different ways. Like there's a number of qualifying criteria to be among the elect, right? And it does not necessarily mean that you are a prophet. Prophets are individuals like Jesus or something like that who received special revelation. And of course, now I get triggered when Jesus gets demoted to prophet. Jesus, of course, prophet, priest, king. Jesus gets demoted to a prophet. This is a this is actually a central concern of the Gospels. 
Jesus does definitely fulfill a prophetic function. He also fulfills a priestly function, also a kingly function. But when Jesus is reduced to a prophet, then Jesus, what Jesus does is reduced to messaging. And their revelation is made apparent to us, both through their predictive capacity of future events that other people didn't predict, and through the spread and efficacy of their message and improving an individual's quality of life. So that's the that's that's how you determine profits. Again, we have the quality of life dead reckoning as if that isn't somehow situated within an entire narrative context. The elect are different from prophets. The elect are individuals who have a plan for their lives. Like this is what I plan to do to have this outcome on the world population. This plan needs to one, have been accurately executed. So they do need to have the impact that they had planned on having. And two, be in line with the will of the agents of providence. God's will. Now, <laughs> These, these, uh, these descendants that manage to somehow transcend time. It's interesting that the, the elect are, the elect are, now he's going to nuance this as it goes a little further, but, but the, the mark of the elect is agency. The mark of the elect isn't something, let's say, like fruit of the spirit, um, obedience to Christ's commands. I mean, all of these things that you'll tend to find in, in churches and Christianity will you could say right all right so these these future entities will the the future that they're trying to bring about so it basically means that they are using you as a vessel to bring about the future that must come to pass mm -hmm. now this gets more interesting because what this means is it means even if i end up having a big impact on history if it wasn't the impact that i intended to have then i am not a a tool of the agents of providence. I am more just like a tool that was used to carry out wider events in the world, potentially on their behalf. Other spirits had colonized you. In other words, the elect is someone whose spiritual power mojo is so strong that in fact they can exert their will through time, of which I have huge doubts because I think, again, reading history you find people are setting out to do all sorts of things and what they actually manage to accomplish is usually very different from what they intend but it wasn't what i wanted to have happen hmm. an example here could be someone like hitler like things definitely didn't turn out the way that he wanted to and yet it would be crazy to say that he's not one of the most influential people in world history and will not be remembered as is is one of the most important in terms of how he changed the path of history right like uh, a lot of a lot of history pivoted around him yes but but this actually comes to another thing that it means to be among the elect because there are various degrees of, of, of the elect, right? And this is the impact that you have needs to be a differential impact. That means if you do what somebody else would have done had you not existed, this earlier in my career, I had this managerial position open up at Google and I was I had an offer from them and I was waiting and waiting, waiting and they had accepted me. Uh, but they hadn't um, employed me to a department. And I ended up at one point having to choose, do I go work for this VC firm in Korea with a young firm or do I end up uh, going to Google? And I asked my wife about this and she goes, Malcolm. And right there I thought, is Simone your second wife? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging here, but it was just like, oh, there's an interesting data point given the, the whole backstory of finding a wife. 
them. If you don't take that job at Google, they will replace you with somebody equally competent as you, and you will have no real power to change the direction of the company or the direction of your product. So yeah, like even if you did get in there and even if you did make heterodox views, you wouldn't be able to get them through given the way that their decision-making worked at the level that you'd been hired. Yeah. And so this, you know, like if you're a politician and you're just surfing a sentimental wave, you are very unlikely to be among the elect. You need to be surfing a wave that you created. And had you not been here, somebody else wouldn't have created. Again, agency. And what, what strikes me about this definition and, and the religious payload of this definition is how much it seems to very much be a part of VC managerial American business philosophy, and and even expressive individualism, the the your the quality of your election is seen by your capacity. It's almost Nietzschean, by your capacity to imprint history with your specific will, not just to be significant in history but to drive history according to that's how you know you're elect. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So this is an example of like, if Hitler hadn't done what he did, I think it's pretty unlikely anyone else would have done something that insane. Uh, well, so I, that here's a, another, like uh, in terms of modern examples, and this is really more relevant to an American audience, but there's a United States Senator named John Fetterman who it's not exactly on, in our political camp, but uh, he shows signs of what we would say is someone who's elect. Why? Because recently he's done a lot of things that run counter to his party's view. He's not towing the line. He's doing stuff that's getting him in trouble with his party. It's going to make his life harder as a politician. But American individualism. I mean, <laughs> I gotta be me. A whole, a whole thousands of high school kids all being original in their in the same way but he is standing for his principles so he represents someone who Can to us is showing signs things are oh Can for example like he he refused in in a pro-israel protest slash parade to support palestine slash hamas i do believe it's important that we call it what it was you know they systematically used rape as a party young i have a test that but i because some other things he's done where he like really is just standing for what he believes uh, in a way that hurts him and runs counter to his party. And uh, I think that's interesting. If um, that ends up destroying his career, then he's not among the elect. I think a better yeah, but, example- But, but it, it has power. gotten him a lot. This is just fascinating debating, especially from a Calvinist background where, I mean, the Weber thesis, a whole bunch of things getting into the question of, you know, who's elect? Am I elect? Am I, I am going to, I'm going to have assurance of my salvation by the, the agency. But again, salvation is different here too. So participation in the life to come in a more traditional Christian imaginary, but um, it's going to be impact in future until of course our descendants transcend time and become the the god that we pray to a lot of attention so maybe like maybe it will it, it, so it's hard to say and here's the other thing is when you go back and you look at other people who hold similar views of like the elect and not the elect puritans in the early colonies there are these hilarious diaries that for example, are covered in Albion's Seed, which of course we're obsessed with as a book, 
where like people are, you know, one day they're so sure in their journal, like I'm definitely among the elect, like this is, this is great. I'm, I'm going to be meaningful. And like the next day they're like, oh, I'm the most wretched person ever. So like no one knows, even at your dying moment, you have no idea if you're among the elect or not. You don't know if you're like a sad pawn or like the real deal. And we cannot know when judging other people, whether they're elect. And that's another like sort of tenet of, of Calvinism. It's not like, you know, you, you can't assume that someone who's lived the most wretched terrible life worst criminal ever they could still be among the elect we are it is it is basically up to god to decide god chooses the in our well, case and you we, don't know within your own lifetime because you don't know the impact of the things that you did and so to give an example of a better politician that i was mentioning earlier would be trump the the wave of political sentiment that trump caused i mean he basically caused a total political realignment in our country that almost certainly would not have happened had he not run now we don't know if that alignment was of the will of the future police or if he was just sort of an npc setting things up for somebody else right and this is another thing right so to, to simone's point right so then there's this different category which is just being a good person and living a good life and what this means is that you have lived in accordance with your conscience and that conscience is a well-informed conscience and you attempted as best you could to make a important impact that led to humanity becoming a diverse and flourishing you know interstellar human empire one day right mm -hmm. and you may be wrong about this you know there's a quote here that this is from Winwood reads the martyrdom of man a book that i quoted a lot and simone does not like me quoting too much so i'll keep it short but Persons with feeble and untrained intellects may live according to their conscience, but the conscience itself will be defective. To cultivate the intellect is therefore a religious duty. But yeah, and I think that that's really true. You can live in accordance with your conscience, but if that conscience is not a trained conscience, it is very easy to live a bad life. Trained according to what? Towards what end? Hmm. And a life that ends up moving civilization in a direction that was counter to your goals. And this is another thing about this concept of the elect that really, you know, comes from what someone is saying is we cannot judge. We can judge people, you know, hundreds of years ago if they were likely among the elect or not among the elect, but we cannot judge people in our current time, our peers very accurately if they are among the elect or not among the elect. And we certainly um, can't determine for ourselves. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are so sure that they're on the righteous path. One thing that I like about this limited atonement and, you know, whether you're elected or not, you'll never know, is that it really forces... If they're not getting money from Coke, they should. ...self-scrutiny. And it forces, a, like, a huge amount of, like, self-consciousness and self-doubt, which I think is ultimately extremely helpful you have to constantly sharpen yourself you have to constantly hold yourself accountable and when you and again there's so much so that nexium cult with keith rainier that 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 degenerated into a sex cult which many cults do i mean so much so much of that was driven by the contemporary cult of success and it's interesting to see now these two are these two are not there but it's interesting to see sort of the spirit of success at work in their in in the formation of their religion and how that then goes to define the terms this is fascinating a little bit more and then we'll stop you don't know <laughs> i don't know i think i feel like it's a better tool for that yeah uh, another thing i'd point out here is that the future the the agents of providence 
they will sometimes use people, even, even to have a big impact on history, that are either meant to signal something to the elect mm. or that are meant to strengthen the elect. So it's, it's so interesting. So our, so God, I don't know why they're single, not plural. They're all in agreement. And, you know, our descendants that somehow, I mean, this, this sort of has just, just prompts in my mind the imagination of how many Hollywood movies that are trying to deal with uh, different distinct, and he actually tie you know uh, narrative threads he actually talks about that in a previous video which was which was interesting to listen to too but um why why, why in fact are our our descendants um managing history that has already happened are they creating new timelines um again it's 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 just fascinating so again, my interest in this is not just the fascination with the, the clearly the development of a religion based on sort of the, the pieces, you know, when the PC guys built the first piece, IBM, you know, pulled pieces off the shelf and put together and PC, well, they're pulling pieces off Calvinist shelves and a bunch of other shelves and new religion. And this is, this is how we save the world. But of course, there's all kinds of presuppositions beneath it in terms of uh, there are metaphysical presuppositions, ontological presuppositions, value presuppositions, all of these things. But it's just it's just fascinating to watch this. And then now again, back to Douthat's observation, the technology being used is not church. It's instead these screens and networks, because a church, of course, is a sort of network in in a certain medium which is, you know, time, space, physicality, meat, space, et cetera, et cetera. So where this goes, you know, I probably won't be alive long enough to know it. I've got a, you know, I'm 20 some years older than they are in some ways, but um, it's still, it's still fascinating to watch. And if not for the internet, I would probably never know about them because they would be, they would be in, in Texas having their little meetings, writing their little books, and their books would go out with their little networks, and some people in other cities would sort of know them, and there'd be a convention, and they'd be doing all of that stuff sort of in in physical meat space. So, yeah, anyway, fascinating stuff. Uh, leave a comment, and um, I'll, I'll, yeah. I, now, some of you, I know, are concerned, because that's how you are. You're concerned. You're high in negative emotion. You're more neurotic than I am, and don't don't watch these people too much. So rest assured, I was also watching some videos about autism and ADHD and um, some of that. Um, I will I will probably lose interest with them at some point, but they they sure are interesting, as as many of you have testified. So we'll we'll we will see what becomes of it. But of course, as they themselves said. It's very difficult to evaluate them within any kind of time span that we have available to us. We can evaluate the, um, oh, the, the that fascinating book that I read a number of years ago on the Oneida community. Just fascinating. Um, so anyway, so yeah, leave a comment. Let me know what you think.